Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Jewish Reaction, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Elliot Hagler. I'm the Assistant Director of Yachad. Uh, we'll be with you for the next hour or so. We have uh, a very special guest joining us today. In addition to, we'll be playing music exclusively from Yaakov Shweki, um, in honor, commemoration, whatever you like to call it, of uh, his new album that just came out, Yaakov Shweki Live at the Nokia Stadium. Uh, of course, those of you who are listeners know that Yaakov Shweki joined uh, Nachum yesterday, Wednesday morning, uh, in studio to talk about all the excitement around the new album. So in honor of that, uh, let's start with our first song, which was chosen by my very special guest, who we'll introduce in a minute. Here is Shamati. Shall you, oh, 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 you,
And that was Yaakov Shweki with Shamata. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Eli Hagler, and I am very pleased to introduce my guest today. is Rabbi Yitzchak Gutterman, a rabbinic coordinator from the Kashrus Division of the OU. Rabbi Gutterman, welcome to the Jewish Reaction. Thank you very much. Good to be here. It is great to have you. So, Rabbi Gutterman, first tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you came to be a rabbinic coordinator at the OU. Well, I'm from Queens originally. Um, I went to 
a yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, in America's Atara for two years. I was in Eretz Yisrael for, in Baltimore for 10 years after that. And from there, I came to the OU. And how you've been here now, you told me, for five years, correct? Yeah, five years. So have you, you've been a rabbinic coordinator for five years in the Kashras division. Exactly. So what does a rabbinic coordinator do? Well, uh, I mean, I can only, I have no idea, you know, really on the Kashras side of things. I mean, it's a huge enterprise, the, the OU Kashras division. Right. Um, and there's hundreds of people who work for Kashras all over the world, literally. Right. Um, you know, so I imagine that you're, an integral part of that, but where does your role come in as a rabbinic coordinator? Well, those were two questions. What rabbinic coordinators that do? That might have been even like five questions. <laughs> <laughs> There's what rabbinic coordinators do and that what I, what I specifically do. Different rabbinic coordinators do different things. Okay. Your standard rabbinic coordinator is an account manager, really. Um, let's say, just pick a company, Coke. Coke wants to be certified by the OU, or Coke is certified by the OU. So there's uh, people in the field who visit their facilities, the mashkichim. They're called here rabbinic field representatives. They visit plants and make sure that they're following the kosher program, that they've used kosher ingredients and that they're running on the right lines and nothing changed and that there's no issues. They report back to the New York office here in Manhattan headquarters and they report back to the account manager, which is the rabbinic coordinator. That's you. That would be right. So let's, like let's me. take Coke as an example. So when the mashkiach is at the Coke plant in Atlanta... Yeah. And, you know, things are going great and Coke is following all the rules and the regulations, doing what they're supposed to be doing. They call you to let you know. He submits a report. It's done electronically now, but he submits a report. High tech. That's right. We're very high tech here at the OU. (laughs) Uh, He submits a report uh, saying either all is fine or what issues he found. And the rabbinic coordinator at the office is, as the name sounds, a coordinator. He coordinates between the rabbi in the field and the company. If there's an issue, he communicates with the company our rabbi found this issue. Um, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to fix it? Um, if the company on their own wants to, as they should, if they want to add a new ingredient, so they're supposed to communicate with the rabbinic coordinator saying, we want to add this new ingredient. Um, here's the kosher certificate for it. And then um, the rabbinic coordinator will add it in our system as an approved ingredient, if appropriate. Can you give us an example, without using a specific company, of course, of something where this, something like this might have come up, where somebody in the field either noticed something, saw something, picked up on something that was happening at a plant that is not okay, according to the OU standards for Kashras. Well, I mean, that kind of thing, you know, happens all the time. That's why we have people visiting But but happening all the time, I'm assuming that's not talking about somebody, you know, accidentally knocking their, you know, pulled pork sandwich into a vat of corn syrup. Right. So, but what type of issue are, are we talking about? Is it that the, the, they changed the recipe or they're getting their sugar from a different provider right? and they didn't let us know? Well, there's there's two parts to kashras. Like every front person knows, um, there's the ingredients you use that whatever you want to use for your product has to be a kosher ingredient. Sure. Even when they're kosher, dairy has to be dairy and pyrav is pyrav and meat is meat and they can't mix. And... Besides the food itself, there's the equipment it's produced on. Just like you know, if you accidentally cook something non-kosher in your pot, you can't use that pot until you kosher it. Right. We call it kosherization. <laughs> um, so in the companies also, and they have to use equipment that is acceptable for kosher use, which is kosher equipment. So um, an issue a rabbi could find could be in either of those. Either a company will get a new supplier, and the new supplier, their old supplier of glycerin, let's say, Glycerin is a very sensitive ingredient. Glycerin can be made from vegetable oil or it could be made from animal 
fat, and they're chemically identical. So they could really bought a kosher glycerin, and then the next week switched to non-kosher glycerin, and the rabbi walks in and says, hey, what's this? And they said, oh, well, yeah, we got a new supplier, I forgot to tell you. So that would be something he would report to so Something like that, to me, sounds like that's a really big deal. Like, really you know, red deal. lights, red flags, let's shut this down or let's take the OU off of it. Um, if there's literally something that's not kosher in the product. At the same time, is it the same? Is it as big a deal? I use air quotes for those of you who can't see. <laughs> <laughs> is it as big a deal if they were to just switch from... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making up a company from Domino Sugar to, I can't think of another sugar company, of Splenda, you know, or something that's already under the OU without letting you know, is that as big of an issue? Well, the, each company that signs up with the OU signs a contract that they will not allow anything into their plant without letting us know. So it, technically, a company that gets a new supplier and uses it in their plant without telling us is in violation of contract. Okay. But as you said, yes, it's not as big of a deal if a company got a new supplier that happened to be kosher, whereas if they got a new supplier, used it in their product, and it was non-kosher, so then that product would have to be taken off the shelves if it already reached the shelves, and the whole plant would need to be kosher. So how does that, whose responsibility is that? Meaning the OU comes back to the company and says, listen, this mistake happened. We've got to pull everything off the shelf or stop the distribution. Whose responsibility is it to do that? I'm assuming it's the the company that's producing the good who's got to let their drivers know or let their distribution center know yeah, to, to, to stop everything. Exactly. It's called a recall, and yes, the company is responsible to do that. Is that does that happen often? You know, no, I like you don't really no, hear about these no, kind of things. No, not often. It happens, but not often. Wow. Not often. That sounds wild. That's part of how kosher survives is because they're afraid of exactly that. If a company has to do a recall, it looks really bad for them. So the, well, one question that I that I think I've had for a long time, that I assume many people have had for a long time, is why do these companies feel the need to be certified kosher? Yes, there's a tremendous market in certain parts of the country and maybe even certain parts of the world. But why does, you know, maybe a co- take Coca-Cola. There is billions of people on this planet. They all drink Coke and Coke products. Why do they need that microscopic percentage of Jewish business? That it's worth it for them to follow all these guidelines and rules to keep everything uh, kosherized, uh, as you called it, for, for themselves to, to grow. Well, um, believe it or not, the, at least the research has shown that the majority of people who look for a kosher symbol are not doing it for religious reasons. They look for it as a type of good housekeeping symbol. Because they think that it kosher looks like food a certification, is exactly, or cleaner, or somehow. Interesting. Other people think are aware that somebody visits, and they assume that if um, if a rabbi is, saw something, he would say something. So there is another set of eyes there watching, and they know it follows certain dietary laws. But is this separate from what I'm assuming the FDA? Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, requires of companies. Well, we know what kosher law is. Right. Um, but there are many certifications. There's organic certification. There's, uh, you know, for eggs, there's cage-free or you know, whatever. There's there's all kinds of things that you could put on a package that says we follow, you know, are certified. We follow that, somebody's rules. Right, exactly. So uh, to a lot of consumers, if they're educated enough, they know that, like I said, they, they perceive kosher as a, a healthier product, and they know there's another set of eyes looking. And in general, a lot of people, if you see a bunch of, you know, if there's a list like all companies will do, 
they're certified vegan, they're certified kosher, they're certified whatever. It's more of a it PR thing. With your it eye, looks you look at it. Well, very certified, very healthy, right. very good. <laughs> this must be good for you. Exactly. <laughs> First ingredient, corn syrup. Second ingredient, sugar. But this is good stuff. And it is true that the you know if, if the OU would find uh, some gross violation of um, uh, cleanliness or something like that, we would report it to the office. Well, I mean, it's your obligation, your right. legal and moral obligation to right, do so. Exactly. Wow. You're listening to The Jewish Reaction here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Eli Hagler, and I'm being joined by Rabbi Yitzchak Gutterman of the OU's Kashrus Division. Rabbi Gutterman is a rabbinic coordinator um, in the Kashrus Division, and in just a minute we'll speak about some of the companies uh, that he specifically works with in services. Uh, but just again, all of our music this uh, this week is going to be Yaakov Shweki in honor of his new album, which was just released. You can go to shweki.com. Uh, to find out more information about it. It's Yaakov Shweki live in Nokia Stadium. And, of course, as everybody knows, yesterday Yaakov joined uh, Nachum Siegel live on JM and the AM in the studio to talk about the uh, upcoming release. Uh, right before we come back to Rabbi Gutterman, we're going to listen to one more song from Shweki's original um, CD entitled Shemati. Here is Sosta Sis.
That was Yaakov Shweki with Sos Tassis. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction here on the Nacham Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler, and I'm being joined by Rabbi Yitzchak Gutterman, a rabbinic coordinator for the Kashrus Division. Uh, Rabbi Gutterman, tell us a little bit about how the process for becoming certified kosher with the OU works. From, I just started this company, I have no idea what to do, but I know that I want to become kosher. <laughs> well, we, we would uh, go on the OU website, find an application, or call the OU, and they'd send you an application. Uh, once we receive the application, we have to do we call an initial inspection, just the initial audit. Um, on the application will be the ingredients and the suppliers of the ingredients that this company is going to use, and the letters of certification for those ingredients if they have them. Um, often they don't have the letters of certification for all of them, and we may have to change the ingredients. And there are some ingredients that can be approved without a letter of certification, like Water, for example. <laughs> water. But there, there are others <laughs> besides water. And, um, and the list of products. And then we'll send a, a rabbi down to visit the plant. And then he'll submit uh, a, very, uh, a full report. You know, a very regular detailed report. report exactly. Of... A regular report from a rabbi who visits a plant is just a checklist and mentioning any issues. When you're doing the initial report, you have to tell everything you see. The idea of the report is supposed to be as if the person in the office could see it with his own eyes. You tell everything you saw, exactly how the process works, include any process flow sheet, and then we work with the company to uh, fix any issues that would be an impediment for them being kosher certified. How long does it take for a company to be able to put the OU on its product? Well, a lot has to do with them. Um, they apply, and you know there's fees to be paid, contracts to be signed, and a lot of times... That holds stuff up. Sure. Uh, contracts have a lot of legalese, and everybody's lawyers has to go back and forth sometimes. 
But the process itself is, is pretty simple. The rabbi goes down, he usually submits his report, you know, within a few days. We work on it here. We send them a contract. As soon as they get it back, then they can use the OSA, you know, as soon as they sign the contracts and it back to us, they can use the OU symbol. So what, what kind of companies do you work with as a, as a manager, as a rabbinic coordinator? Well, me personally, I, I do some of the larger companies. Um, certainly not all of them, just a few. Um, <laughs> I would imagine it'd be hard for one person to do all of the large companies. It's impossible. <laughs> but, um, I do a company, uh, Archer Daniel Midland, uh, which is a very large company at the OU. Uh, BASF is an OU company that I handle. I do a lot of uh, egg companies. Um, they all have their own processes, all very interesting. But this is all food that you're dealing with. Like I know the OU's... So kosher certification is on also non-food products that's right. as well. But you deal with only food. No, that's not true. Ah. Um, I have two parts where I deal with non-food. One is uh, the company BASF has many uh, applications that are I'm not, not directly right. well, what do they sell? BASF is one of the largest chemical companies in the world. Oh, okay. They have some food items and they have some non-food items. And we certify both types of items for them. And, and I also, besides being um, a rabbinic coordinator for certified companies... That is an account manager, like I said, for the certified companies. I also set up new companies. Uh, that process I just described for you. Um, so a lot of the applications I get are are not directly food. So your your work here at the OU is more on the business side. It's more on the rabbinic side, or it's really a merger of the two. Uh, it's certainly a merger of the two. For some people, it's more this than that, depending That's on what depending exactly on the you company. do. Anyone who's dealing with uh, setting up new companies, there's going to be contracts, and there's business involved in Are that. Are you a, a lawyer? Do you have a legal background? No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, stay away from that. <laughs> we do have a lawyer here in-house, who, whenever there's any legal questions, okay. we send it to him. But no, I don't have... I do have a business background, but I don't have a legal background. Okay, but a business background is, is good for dealing with large companies as well. Yes. So do you ever go out to see the companies, or you're the headquarter guy, and someone else will go into the field to the plant and to the... To, to meet with the people over there? Um, I don't go regularly, but I go periodically. Like okay. The rabbi who's in the field will go on a regular basis, whatever it is. So let's talk about these rabbis in the field. You, yeah. know, you, you coordinate their travel, where they're going, when they're going, what company they're going to meet with, what plant they're going to see. Well, where... actually, not exactly. There is, there's someone who coordinates. I do coordinate, personally, the, the rabbis in South America. That's another hat I wear. But as far as, let's say, the North American rabbis, okay. there's a man here, Rabbi Morris. He's the main person who handles Mashgichim in general, and is certainly specifically in North America. And he kind of controls who goes where. The rabbinic coordinator in the office, the account manager, is just responsible for his company. Whereas, so you need to make sure that someone goes to the plant, or exactly. somebody goes to see. Whoever who Rabbi, Morris is, assigns, Rabbi Morris assigns, I make assigns. sure he's actually going. So, so that person who's going, whoever, you know, whoever the rabbi is, he, are these people always traveling? Are yes. they like living out of a suitcase, kind of? Like I'm, I heard a couple of weeks ago an interview, a couple. It's got to be a couple of months ago now. When Kraft cheese, polio string cheese, I think it was, yes, became OU certified right before Pesach. Mm-hmm. I heard an interview on the Nachum Siegel Network with a rabbi who was in middle of nowhere, upstate New York. Yeah. Who there are two rabbis there, and they both work twelve-hour shifts and just alternate, and they they're there for three weeks out of the month, and then they come home for one week to be with their family. Right. So there are lots of those kind of. Rabbis Amashkichim? Yeah, there's there's two types. There's that type where they are assigned to one plant and that's all they know. If you're there for twelve hour shifts constantly. But you'll work at that one plant for 
15 years, 20 years, and that's your baby. Right. The, that's not, that's one type. Okay. The standard rabbinic field representative is assigned to three states. And three states? Yeah. And I don't mean there's just one guy assigned to three states. There may be many people assigned to three right. states. But it'll be like a three-state area. And that's determined on where the plant is. Yeah. So in other words, if I live in Chicago, so uh, let's say I'll visit, uh, I mean, maybe that's so a So you'll go example. to Indiana, Illinois, right, exactly. and Ohio. Yeah, I'll visit plants there. So that mashkiach is always traveling, but he he's in different plants every day. Uh, so he's in three plants a day. There's not one rabbi who lives in New York who's going to San Diego on Monday, Oregon on Tuesday, and then Houston on Wednesday. No, we have mashkichim all over the world. We certify companies in almost every country on the planet. And there are local mashkichim who live there, who do the visits there. And they live there because that's where they happen to live, or they yes. live there because that's where work, Kashrus, the OU, takes them. Uh, or, t- typically it's because that's where they happen to live. Okay, so like this rabbi who lives in upstate New York, the interview I remember was very interesting. He was saying that he has to bring his own food from home because there is nothing resembling kosher anywhere near there. Right. So that those are fewer and yeah, rarer. T- typically it's you live near the place that you're assigned to. Fascinating. You're listening to The Jewish Reaction here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the assistant director of Yachad, and we're being brought to you by the OU, the Orthodox Union. And I'm being joined by Rabbi Yitzhak Gutterman of the Kosherist Division of the OU. Um, Rabbi Gutterman, tell us a little bit about the other hat that you were just mentioning that you wear in, uh, in Kosherist in South America. Um, South America was uh, not a big player in the food industry for a while, at least in most markets. But now it's gotten a lot bigger, um, like many emerging markets. And the OU has expanded a lot um, in Chile and Peru and really all over South America, Ecuador. And there are, these are companies that produce their food and distribute all over the world. They just do it from Ecuador. Exactly. Um, in some cases, it's, it's American companies who have a branch there. Mm-hmm. In other cases, it's an Ecuadorian company, say, who wants to export to the U.S. or to Israel. What's the largest or most well-known South American food company that has the OU that we might not even know is South America or not, or not even have any idea about it? Um, well, the thing is, there's a lot of large companies right here in the U.S. you probably don't know about. Like uh, you, I mentioned Like before. the one that you just mentioned, the, exactly. the chemical company. Yeah. Archer, well, let's take Archer Daniel Midland. That Archer other Daniel Midland. Yes. Many, many of your listeners probably have heard of Archer Daniel Midland, also known as ADM. Um, they make so much of the food that we consume, like all these big companies. They make actual products, or they'll produce an ingredient that's an in ingredient. so many. Yeah. So, so they'll produce high fructose corn high syrup. High fructose corn syrup. Exactly. Is that, which is basically in everything that we eat. Right. Or vegetable oil, soybean oil, canola oil. These are things that it's in everything. So, then, so that company years ago would come to the OU and say, we want to be kosher. And then when a company like Coke or another company that uses their high fructose corn syrup says, we want to be kosher, well, that's great because this product, which is your number one product or one of the more important products, is already certified kosher. Right. And often it works the other way. A company comes and they want to be kosher and their ingredients aren't kosher and they go, it's pushed the other way. They call it the So supplier. they'll call Arthur right. Daniel Midland. Archer Daniel Midland. ADM. I'm sorry, ADM. Exactly. Like, Same. hey, you guys need to get kosher because we want to be kosher. Exactly. Wow, um, that's crazy. And, um, yeah, I, I've told many people they a lot of people haven't heard of ADM and I told them that you cannot go through a week without consuming a week oh, you ADM. can go through two or three days <laughs> right <laughs> they make flour vegetable oil um, 
some pharmaceutical type products, not exactly pharmaceutical, but um, pharmaceutical type products, um, high fructose corn syrup. I mean, those are the staples, you know. High fructose corn syrup is literally in everything. Corn, in one corn. way or another, is in, is in like 90% of products yeah, on shelves. a lot of, uh, right, exactly. Right? Unbelievable. So, and even in a, just a... You, you don't appreciate really we who buy in the supermarket don't appreciate what a soybean is. Um, I don't even know what a soybean so looks like. Products. <laughs> soybean oil. Yeah, you've heard of soybean oil. You probably right. don't think you eat it that much. You eat it more than you know. But um, if you just take a soybean, the productive, what comes out of a soybean? They take a soybean, and you can extract oil from it. You then have crude soybean oil. So to get it. Your final product's trying to be soybean oil, but just so many byproducts end up being consumed. You have the crude oil is then they have to get rid of the gums. Let's just use a centrifuge. That gum is known as further enhanced, but it becomes lecithin. Which so is? It's an emulsifier. It keeps, binds things together. So the byproduct, the, the waste, so to say, from exactly. the soybean production is it's another lecithin. product. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> so if now you, that needs to be certified. Exactly. And if the you, soybean oil itself needs to be certified. Right. So that, and, and then if you keep and like going. Like I said, lecithin is in, if you take a look at foods, it's in everything. So then you have your, okay, so now you have your uh, soybean oil without the gums. It's then refined. Um, part of it, the 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 gunk that they don't need is soap stock can be sold to a soap company and then it's um it's bleached to get rid of the colors and then they deodorize it deodorizer it means like it sounds they get rid of the odors in the oil but you do that by cooking up the oil and in a kosher pan in a kosher distillation column in a <laughs> talking industrial here we're not making one or two quarts <laughs> exactly <of it>. <laughs> <laughs> several stories tall right and how that works is you cook up oil and at a certain temperature and the, the odors, the, the parts of the oil that give it that odor, boil off. Evaporate right. or just disappear. But that stuff that boils off, the bad stuff again, they catch that. They catch the odor. Exactly. The, 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 right, the part that boils off, that's called deodorizer distillate. And that's very, very valuable. Which becomes? Use that to make, that has phytosterols used to make vitamin E. Okay. And you take, and that deodorizer distillate that you're going to make into vitamin E has to be refined and the, the parts that you don't need from the vitamin E are used as a lower cholesterol. That's, so there's a <laughs> so there's all quite a lot that comes out of from just the soybean. The soybean. Yeah. So the, there's a company out there that all they do is soybeans. They just make products there from soybeans. There are many, 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 many soybean oil companies and some of them have further processes. There are fatty acids that come out of these things. And each make. one of these individual products needs to be Certified or just because if one is certified, they're all certified? Well, if it's an all-kosher plant, then everything is going to be, you know, if they want But each one's going to have its own process, meaning the process of turning a a bushel, a package, a a tremendous amount of quantities of soybeans into all these products is going to happen with a dozen different ways. But each procedure, each process needs its own certification, needs its own approval, needs its own okay. Or, well, not okay, OU, but it's... (laughs) If you wanted, in other words, if someone applied for soy lecithin, then we'd have to visit the plant, same as if they applied for... um, Wow. That's distillate. So let me me ask you another question. A company comes to you and says, we want to be kosher. And they're already at the point, they're going through everything, they send you their ingredients, and there's an ingredient listed there that's not kosher. Is it the ingredient that's listed that's not kosher, or is it the provider that they're using whose product isn't kosher, and then... 
Is the response, okay, let's get that other company to become kosher also? Or here's a list of our approved vendors who sell that product. Use one of them. Both. We offer both options. Whichever they want, it's up to them. You can use a different supplier or we can make your... And you'll make that introduction... Yeah, we'll explain that to them, that if you're, if you're married to this supplier, we can try and certify them kosher. Can't guarantee anything, obviously, right. but we can try and certify them kosher if possible, if they'd like, or if they want to get a new supplier, we provide people with uh, options. Wow. It's, I would never even, I mean, I would consider myself a very much a layman in terms of knowledge of the kosher's industry. I know when I go to a supermarket, you look for the, the OU and that's it. There's so much more that goes into it. Like for me, I was thinking that we would come in here and we'd talk about Coca-Cola and hers potato chips and Utz potato chips and not necessarily soybean, but soybeans are in everything. Exactly. Wow. That's crazy. That is very fascinating to me. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Elliot Hagley. I'm the assistant director of Yacha, and I'm being joined by Rabbi Yitzhak Gutterman, a rabbinic coordinator from the Kashrus Division of the OU. Uh, Rabbi Gutterman um, has been gracious enough to choose our music for today, um, and he chose, which worked out well for us, Yaakov Shweki, who just came up with a new album and joined Nachum yesterday on JM in the AM. You can go to shweki.com to find out more information about Yaakov Shweki live in Nokia Stadium. Uh, we're going to play two songs here, from Rabbi, which Rabbi Gutterman chose, uh, from the CD Cry No More, Harrier's first Cry No More, and then Batuach Ani.
And that was Yaakov Shweki with Cry No More, followed by Batu Achani. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Assistant Director of Yachad. And I'm being joined by Rabbi Yitzhak Gutterman from the Kashras Division um, of the OU, the largest uh, Jewish Kashras provider. Um, Rabbi Gutterman, what is something that people would just have no idea about in the Kashras industry? Obviously, soybean, you know, something like that being one, What's something else that people just wouldn't know about that happens that is an important part of kosher's that people or an everyday person wouldn't just think about? Well, I think if you don't think about it, you won't realize it. If you thought about it, maybe you would. But <laughs> um, when you buy a bag of pretzels, that's an off-brand. Whatever. Uh, by off-brand, I just mean uh, your local supermarket's right. brand. ShopRite or Acme or wherever your supermarket is. and um, or, or a Jewish brand. Of pretzels, whoever makes pretzels, I don't know, makes hatar or mishpach, whoever, some Jewish brand. I think everyone doesn't really think about it much and assumes that there's probably a hadar factory and then there's a shoprite factory and then there's a acme factory. That's exactly what I think. <laughs> like I'm thinking of Kirkland Signature. Right. So I, I don't mean to say any names and like uh, define anybody specifically. I'm just picking out names out of a hat. Generally speaking, I mean to say. Brands that aren't brands you've heard of probably probably do not have their own factory. There's a guy, whoever, Bob's Pretzel Factory, who's making pretzels for all kinds of companies. And let's say whoever, the, the your supermarket, ShopRite Giant, the whatever, will send them their bags and they'll put um, the, their pretzels, the same exact pretzels. So the actual say, like ShopRite and Pathmark... Have actually the exact same pretzel made in the exact same factory, just one's in a Pathmark bag, one's in a ShopRite bag? Again, I don't, just to be clear, I mean, I'm not talking about specifically ShopRite or Pathmark, but yeah, generally, yes, exactly. So they'll have, exactly, they'll be produced in the the exact same pretzel. Something like that, you can have six or eight different companies certified, but it's really certifying one company, one plant, because the unknown company who's actually making the pretzels or whatever that product is for all these different companies. Right, and why that's important is, is because some people... And it's it's good always to buy you know it's a nice thing to buy Jewish brands because you're but you're supporting a Jew that's a nice thing. Um, but are but you? Be, be, what do you mean? Are you is Hadar or Mishpacha or other companies Gold's Horseradish are these actually well, Jewish companies a, that are making their own food or well, again is a, Hadar is a Jewish company so if you buy their products you're supporting them and so is Mishpacha and all that and that's all nice but I'm just saying people. Um, and they sometimes they like the certification on there. That's fine, too. But I think people buy it also because they think, well, this is, let's say, Mishpacha or whoever, and they would never put anything non-kosher into their product. So I know I'm safer kosher-wise just for that reason alone because it's a firm company that they would never put a non-kosher ingredient into their product. And people should be aware that while we certainly hope that's correct, that they still Mishpacha would never tell the company put something non-kosher in there. But the company, and again, I don't mean to pick, pick Mishpacha, but of course. whoever, the firm company is producing, or the ShopRite is producing, they're all producing at some manufacturer. And that manufacturer could run short of a certain ingredient and substitute it for ShopRite or for the Jewish brand. Without, you know, so the Jewish brand Hadar, having told them that. Mishpacha, the companies like that, they're not actually making their own product? Again, I, I, I mean, we're not. I mean, I'm talking about the, you know, like the Jewish companies, Jewish name yeah, companies. There, there may, there may be. So uh, they're actually the middleman, more distribution. Typically, yes. That's so interesting. Wow, I'm like curious. Like, what, what does a factory 
look like? You know? <laughs> like it's probably just a giant warehouse with vats all over the place and a bunch of machines and people in white coats. Uh, no, not exactly. Um, it's, Don't take this away from me. That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> the white coats are for the labs. Um, no, it is huge. That's for sure. There's a there are ingredient rooms the size of. I guess if you um, picture a, a big gymnasium in camp, those it's enclosed, a, basically just so a huge silo like full that. of sugar or salt. Well, many or... ingredients, and it could be um, say three or four times the size of a gymnasium you'd see in a camp, let's say. Wow! And that's just the ingredients and the processing plant. Let you know that could be like the ADM facility, the main facility Where is the in main Decatur. Facility? It's Decatur, Illinois. Decatur, and Illinois. It's about something like two miles long. The entire facility. Really. They're making a lot there, but... Um, they're, they're probably using dump trucks to transport the product. They're using tanker trucks, yes. Rail, car, rail cars and tanker trucks. And so those rail cars would have to be certified yes, that's another kosher interesting as point well. of uh, kosher, exactly. Just like if you can't use um Right, they're not taking... Pot. Right, they're not taking like a one-pound bag of sugar. They're taking like a 5,000-pound truck of sugar. Well, for sugar, it's not as important not that it be kosher sugar, right. because sugar is a dry product and cold. And, you know, as long as the truck's clean, it doesn't matter what the okay. sugar is being transported in. But let's say uh, palm oil okay. is um, it's an oil, it's a liquid, and it's put straight in a big tanker truck you'd see on the highway. And that's transported hot. So just like if you would cook on, on your stove lard, and then you, you couldn't use it then for kosher. So when you put in a tanker truck hot lard... And then you clean it, and then you add hot palm oil. That palm oil is not kosher anymore. So tanker trucks also need to be certified kosher. You know, the, so the that, that the, the vat holding the oil on the back of the truck. Exactly. And that gets certified kosher by the same by the same rabbi. Does he clean it? There are tank there are tanker companies certified by the OU. And so now <laughs> there's a tanker company, a cleaning company that is certified by the OU who will come in and clean their tankers. Well, there are tank wash stations certified by the OU, but the owners of the, the the tankers themselves are certified. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, this is like mind blowing to me. Are there companies that make both? I'm sure there are that make both kosher and non kosher products. Most, well, I shouldn't say most. Many, certainly many. So, but will they, will, are they dairy able to make a kosher product and a non-kosher product in the same plant? Or if a plant is kosher, the plant has to be kosher? No. They, there are many, many plants do both. But a system has to be set up so that there's never an issue. So if you're doing products that have nothing to do with each other, let's say I'm making popcorn. I'm just making a ridiculous example. Right. I'm making popcorn. Popcorn's and, not ridiculous. I love popcorn. Okay. Popcorn's good. <laughs> I make popcorn. Okay. And you're making whatever. I don't know what. Just make a silly example. You're making milk. Okay. So I'm not afraid my popcorns can end up in your milk vat. So even if uh, milk's a bad example, whatever. You're making chicken soup, trafe chicken soup, and I'm making popcorn. There's no reason for me to worry that my popcorn's going to get popped in your chicken soup kettle. So that's okay as far as them being in the same plant. Okay. But, but even then, the ahead. steam systems would have to not be connected. In other words... Because the steams can't cross paths. Exactly. The same... Most kettles in industrial settings are heated by water or steam. Um, so that water or steam, if it flows to the whole plant, it goes back to the boiler and circulates wow. again. If it cooked the non-kosher chicken soup, it can't be used to heat my product. So let me ask you a question. Say you have a company that's making chicken soup, not kosher chicken soup. And they're also, the same company also makes um, bagged frozen vegetables. Right. Like, would that be more problematic? Because the frozen vegetables, in theory, could and should end up in the soup. 
as vegetables as you know a necessary well, ingredient. If the vegetables ended up in the soup, we wouldn't. It would be okay because we don't certify the soup. So right. it would be fine if they ended up in the soup. And if it was I'd not to kosher worry vegetables, about the other but way. kosher chicken, right? Right. If I if there were um, again, it would mean if the company sells chicken soup with vegetables in it, right. then yes, we might worry that it would show up there. But if they just make chicken soup, then you wouldn't. Ex- your cust- the customer who bought chicken soup and found the broccoli right. sprout in there would not be happy. So we're not too worried about that. Wow, this is really fascinating to me. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the assistant director of Yachad, and I'm being joined here by Rabbi Yitzhak Gutterman of the Kashrus Division. He's a rabbinic coordinator uh, for OU Kashrus. Uh, Rabbi Gutterman, how did you get into this? Did you, when you were in Eretz Yisrael and Yeshiva, were you learning specifically about the Kashrus industry, or you were it, like, is this something that you said, "Hey, I want to get into Kashrus"? How, um, how did that happen for you? I always enjoyed learning halacha. I did a lot of learning halacha in yeshiva, which includes, obviously, kashras. Sure. Um, I can't say I was, at 10 years old, thinking I'd be in kashras. <laughs> but what does every 10-year-old want to be? <laughs> but um, halacha always interested me, and that's part of how I uh, came to the OU. Um, uh, spend, uh, most people in yeshiva, I think, probably spend most of their time learning babakama, that type of thing. And if they get smichas, they learn halacha a little bit. I enjoyed halacha a lot, but maybe that's how I ended up in a, in the, in kashras. So do you uh, enjoy it? I enjoy the halacha part of it a lot, sure. Do you, um, I mean, there's a lot of stress. But so when you got to the OU, you probably didn't know as much as you do now. I Meaning, obviously, I'm assuming you didn't know as much about the actual processes of soybean production right. or, you know, popcorn making. Right. Um, but you probably had a pretty solid basis of halacha, but I assume both have grown tremendously since you're here. Well, there's not just the knowledge of halacha and the plant. There's halacha is one thing, but, you know, you learn in your yeshiva and you come out, the halacha is like this and that this is how you should do it. And that's nice for your home and if you're the rabbi right. shul. But the OU is a certification agency. And what kosher means to the uh, in your home is not necessarily what it should be um, as an agency, meaning... If you brought me, um, let's say, Tide detergent, and I, you would ask me, can I use this in my home, let's say, to wash my tablecloth? So maybe if I was the rub of a shul, um, I'm not sure that I would say that there's, it needs a certification. But if the OU is giving certification, then there are rules you need to follow, because that's, if it has an OU on it, then the consumer expects that you made sure that it was no animal ingredient or nothing not kosher in that product. So there's... Um, a lot of things are policy. That besides learning, first of all, what the OU holds, you know, what I learned in Yeshiva is nice, but the OU right. has its own post I mean, that's what we follow here. But there's also policy, even when you're past the area of halacha, because probably most people would tell you that type detergent does not does not have to be kosher certified. Although I believe Rabelsky says that there's um, there is a minute to use, like say, kosher soaps in general. Let's say Thai detergent. Also, once yeah, it has, you never know if you're really, really hungry and you need to eat a little no. bit of soap. <laughs> at least you want to have kosher soap. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just as a matter of policy, if something has an OU on it, then the OU uh, will follow certain halachic guidelines because the consumer expects that if there's an OU That's on it, The general it understanding kosher. is that it's at a higher quality, higher standard. Yeah, exactly. We don't, you know, something you might allow in your house. When you're an agency, you have to be five steps behind that so that issues don't show up. Right. Um, so that you obviously learn on the job. Wow. 
And that's just about all the time that we have this week. I want to thank my guests, Rabbi Yitzhak Gutterman, our rabbinic coordinator for the OU Kashrus Division. The world of Kashrus is absolutely fascinating to me. As always, I'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas, suggestions, thoughts, constructive criticism, feedback, anything. Email me at ellie at nachamsegel.com. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Nachum Siegel Network. This was the OU Presents, the Jewish Reaction.